0: God we're so grateful for your word and so thankful for the chance to um, just proclaim its truths over us as a people and and over this city and God I would just give this time to you and ask your Holy Spirit to be here among us as we look at your word and as we um, prayerfully consider how to um, follow your word and be changed by your word and encouraged by it we're thankful and grateful for your character that you reveal to us in Scripture. Whether explicitly or whether um, in the stories that we read through. God, you are faithful and good. So we thank you for this chance to look uh, at Abraham and his life story, his ups and downs, and see your steady hand amidst it. Be with us now, Lord, in your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so as you know, we are going through the Old Testament at lightning speed, and we are now uh, talking over the time period of Abraham, which extends from Abraham to the time of the Exodus when the people of Israel are called out of Egypt. So, uh, so from Abraham all the way into the beginning of, uh, of the people being enslaved there in Egypt and coming out. Um, and today we're looking at a couple of things. Uh, we'll be looking at the covenant particularly. We sort of talked about it a little bit last week about the promises that God gave to Abraham to make, him a, a make his name great, make him a great kingdom, make him uh, great in multitude. And today we're going to be talking about the covenant a little bit more, uh, more explicitly. And... It's a bit confusing in this uh, section of Scripture because from chapter 12 to chapter 21, 22, you see reference to covenant over and over and over again. Actually, like four times it seems that God is speaking a covenant. Uh, The covenant in all four times is one and the same. It's just described differently from different angles and different um, sort of expansion of what God has for Abraham and his generations that follow. So last week, we started with Abraham when he was in Ur of the uh, Chaldeans, uh, and God has called him out of Ur to go to a land that he was going to give to Abraham, that is the land of Israel. So we saw him follow that very simple command to come out of Ur and leave his family, leave his homeland, uh, and go to where God had called him to. One of the things that God promised him was that, um, that he would have many, many uh, descendants. In chapter 12, he says, I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great, that you will be a blessing. And so one of the questions that's ringing around in Abraham's, he- Abraham's head when he receives this blessing at the age of 75 is, I have no son. How will I be a great nation if I have no children? And so today we pick up uh, a little bit later in his life when he's 86, from the age of 86 to around 100. And uh, that's basically the time frame we're covering during these, these chapters. And, uh, and Abraham still has some questions, as it turns out. If you were told that you were going to become the father of a great nation and uh, 11 years later you still didn't have a child, you also might, you know, have a few doubts about whether that promise was going to come true. Especially if you'd followed the Lord into Israel and, you know, there was someone else there and you got kicked out and because of famine and then went back. And, you know, some things are kind of not going as you might have expected them to go when you received the initial promise. But we saw last week that God is faithful and God showed up very particularly in the person of Melchizedek and And revealed himself to him, and and Abraham uh, was maybe receiving a little bit more uh, comfort in that. And here in chapter 15, the Lord comes to Abraham. Chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, after Abraham had rescued his nephew Lot and Melchizedek had come to to see him and bless him, uh, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Chapter 15, verse 1. Fear not, Abram, I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Again, Abram has questions. But Abram said, "O Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus." And Abram said, "Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir." And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. "This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir." And he brought him outside and said, look toward the heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So rightfully, Abram has had some doubts. I think similar doubts that we would have, but the Lord is faithful and comes and shows up to him and says, no, Abram, I know it's been 11 years. You still haven't had any kids, but let me remind you of my promise. And my promise is this: Look at these stars. So shall be your descendants. The covenant that I started with you is a covenant that I'm continuing to keep. It's the Abrahamic covenant, as we call it today. And again, it's it's splattered throughout these uh, these 10 chapters. Um, and I wanted to point out a few things about this covenant in general, uh, before we walk through the bulk of this passage, uh, on your guides there, these, these points are listed and you can sort of see, um, hopefully you follow through. This is the time period for Abraham 2100 to 1450 BC on those little, uh, pamphlets there. You've got all these details, but I won't run through them. Real quick, these are some things that are known about Abram and we see in the passages that we'll be covering over the past, last week, this week, and next week. Um, Again, you know, God calls Abram out of Ur. He's 75 when God calls him. Abraham's wife is elderly and barren, has no child. Um, God makes some promises to Abraham. again, the stars, that his his descendants would be as many as the stars, uh, that his descendants will have a relationship with God. We'll see a lot of that today. Uh, that he's been promised a land that God will be with him and call him to walk with God. That's the cloud there, the presence of God symbolized in the in the cloud. Um, that the nations will be blessed through Abraham's seed. That Abraham will be the father of many nations. That kings will come from Abraham's line, uh, the line of Judah. And we see again in verse 15 that Abraham believes the promises of God that he's promised. And God justifies Abraham on account of His faith by the grace of God. Um, What we're going to see in chapter 15 is that God is confirming his covenant, and we're going to talk about uh, chapter 17, the covenant sign of circumcision. Um, I think we'll go to this. There we go. Okay. So throughout, again, throughout uh, chapter 12, chapter 15, chapter 17, and chapter 21, we see God coming and showing up to Abraham and telling him these promises that, again, are are there and I've read, walked through there, um, that you'll be blessed with these many people, that you have this great land, that kings will be coming from your line, uh, these amazing things, amazing things that hinge upon a lot that Abraham does not see. He hasn't taken ownership of any land in Israel. He hasn't had one child Um, and he's got questions, as you would if you were him. So let me point out a few things that we see about the different uh, covenant sort of promises made. First, in, in chapter 12, like I said, we see God initially giving Abraham a promise and calling him to obedience, calling him to come into Ur. In chapter 17, we see what I'll call the expectations of the covenant. Uh, Chapter 17, we see a number of things that God asks of Abraham. Uh, Chapter 17, verse 2 says uh, that, uh, that this, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. God has called Abraham to walk with him, to walk before him and to be blameless. The expectation of the covenant is that they would be kept through all generations. Chapter 17, verse 9. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. The expectation of what God is promising to Abraham, it is not only to Abraham, but to his seed and to those who will follow him. The expectation is that Every male will be circumcised as a covenant sign. Uh, Chapter 17, verse 11. You shall be circumcised in your flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And verse 14, that there is a uh, consequence of not following in the covenant. Chapter 17, verse 14. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh shall be cut off from his people, he has broken my covenant. So in chapter 12, we have a, a promise made by God to Abraham that, that this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to have these great multitudes. In chapter 17, we see that there's some sort of expectation put on those who are receiving this covenant, the, primarily that is to be blameless. I mean, so far we haven't, seen Abraham hold that into the deal yet. And, and in these chapters, we don't see Abraham hold that deal. And And so the question is, if if Abraham isn't blameless, then how do these covenants work exactly, right? Because God's saying, hey, you got to be blameless and walk before me. I think y'all can agree that none of us have fulfilled that, and neither did Abram. So we've got chapter 12, a, a promise of blessing, and a number of promises throughout uh, chapter 12 and chapter 15, and, and, uh, and even chapter 17. But this condition on us that, that we are to walk blamelessly. The amazing thing about this covenant is that uh, even before the covenant is received or followed, God has provided for the covenant provided for its fulfillment in himself. See, when God chose Abram out of Ur and called him to uh, come to this land that he provided for him, he knew he wasn't going to be perfect. He knew he was just a man. We've seen this since the beginning of creation, right? When when God saved Adam and Eve and said and cursed the serpent and said, someone will come and And you may uh, bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your skull. God knows this is a fallen world and that man is incapable of walking blamelessly, incapable of fulfilling this covenant. That's where chapter 15 becomes very important in terms of what the covenant of Abraham is doing and saying, what God is saying through the covenant of Abraham. So back to chapter 15. If I haven't thoroughly confused everyone with lots of covenant talk, sorry. Uh, Back to chapter 15, we see very important instruction. Verse 7, chapter 15, verse 7. He said to them, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. God says, I'm the one that brought you out. What was Abraham's role to believe God and follow him is God's role to call him out and bring him out of the Chaldeans. But he said, "O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess this land? And he said to him, bring me a heifer, three years old, and a female goat, three years old, and ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all of these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. You might be thinking, this is odd. Why is God having Abraham cut animals in half and spread them on the land? What does that have to do with God giving Abram this covenant and these promises in this land and a promise of generations to come after him? This is a covenant procedure of the time. In setting up a covenant, there are multiple parties, a divine witness and the two parties who are making an agreement. Typically, in said agreement, you would cut an animal in half, set one side on the right and one side on the left, and you, with your contracted party, the other person that you're making contract with, would walk between the pieces of the animal. And what you're saying when you walk between these two cut pieces of the animal is that if I don't hold my side of the bargain, then I shall be as these carcasses spread out upon the land. That You might as well cut me in half if I don't tell the truth and fulfill my end of the bargain, my part in the covenant. So that's the picture that's being set up. These animals are cut in half and laid on the land, and God is saying, I've made promises to you. I may promises to you that you will have great descendants more than the stars. I may promise to you that you will inherit this land. Now take some animals and cut them in half. Okay? Abraham knows immediately what is happening. He understands that God is, is about to you know, put forth a covenant uh, uh, you know, ceremony in, in front of him. So Abraham keeps them clean and keeps the birds of the air away from them uh, until he gets further instruction from the Lord. Verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. I mean, just pause for a minute and think. Abram has been told by God that he's going to be a great nation, that he's going to inherit this land. Abram for 11 years already has not seen that come to fulfillment and probably been wondering, clearly been wondering, because he's asking God questions, how it's going to be fulfilled. I don't have any offspring. And God says, actually, it's going to take longer than 11 years. It's going to take 400 years. More. <laughs> but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, verse 14, and afterward they shall come out with great possession. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace and shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. God tells Abraham, I know you've got doubts. I know this doesn't look very good because you're 86 and don't have a child and so is your wife. But I promise you, this is what's going to happen and more, you know, difficulties are ahead. So after he says this, the sun uh, goes down and it is dark. And behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, To your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kinezites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. You heard me say earlier that typically in a covenant like this, the two parties would walk through together saying, If any one of us doesn't fulfill this covenant, then we shall be like these animals that are split apart before us. What God is now saying to Abram is that I am the only one walking through these pieces. The fulfillment of the covenant is not dependent on Abram. The fulfillment of the covenant is dependent upon God himself. He says, listen, Abram, 400 years until your your ken come back here, I will be the one fulfilling this. similar, but with a divine witness. Yeah, yeah. So Abram receives this promise, and this promise is that God is going to fulfill the covenant that he has just made with Abraham. So when you read these chapters, look through verses chapter 12 to 21, and we're talking about covenants, there are various aspects to it. So when verse, in chapter 17, we're talking about God saying, listen, I want you to walk before me blameless. When God in chapter 15 walks through the pieces, he's saying, I know you're not going to be able to do it. I'm the one that's going to provide for it. I'm the one that's going to fulfill this covenant. It's going to be upon me. This is another taste, another uh, foretaste of what is to come, that God is the one who saves us. God, in fact, through Abraham's seed will come Jesus, through whom this covenant will be completely fulfilled, and we will be saved. God walks through the pieces. He takes on the judgment for our breaking this covenant. So that's the covenant. What we see in the rest of these chapters, 16 to 18, is unfortunately Abraham's sort of response to the covenant, Abraham and Sarah. Turns out they didn't, they didn't fully follow this in faith. In fact, they continued to struggle with how exactly God was going to fulfill this. But the cool thing about the rest of this uh, time is that we see God revealing his character to us, his commitment to fulfill the covenant to us, um His grace <laughs> to uh, continue to work through and in Abraham in in spite of Abraham's brokenness. In chapter 16, um, okay, so for the rest of the time, we're talking about some names, right? Um, and this passage in particular is important to me because uh, back in December, two days before Christmas, I was woke in the middle of the night, and God was talking to me about some things. One of the things he was talking to me about is uh, what I should name my son. I didn't know I was going to have a son yet. I just knew that we were pregnant, and we were going to find out on Christmas morning what my son, or what, who, whether I was going to have a son or daughter, right? Um, And that particular, I hadn't thought about name at all, like in any respect. At that point, I wasn't trying to get my hopes up or, you know, any, have any expectation about what this gender of this baby would be. And so God woke me up, and, and the thought came to mind, Lord, what, what should I, if I have a son, what should I name him? And, uh, and the, the idea of vision and seeing came to my mind. And so I was just looking up verses about seeing and vision and all this, and I came to this passage. Uh, and so it's kind of an odd passage to come to if you're looking for the name of your son, honestly. Uh, chapter 16 of Genesis, basically the story is this. Abram and Sarah are waiting for their promised offspring they're getting a little bit anxious because they're well 86 and uh and and don't really know how that's gonna all work out so Sarah has the idea to offer her servant as a surrogate mother now, as outlandish says, that seems today, we talked about this some on Thursday. This is actually the normative uh, treatment of fertility of the time. And so it's not as, as uh, out there, but it is still not in the will of God, not in the wisdom of God, as you very well know, and as we know from the passage. Abram and Sarai go through with this plan to uh, use Hagar as a mother for potential progeny. And it's successful. They have a child. and His name is Ishmael. As you might expect when this occurs, the plan that seems so reasonable and, and uh, logical to Sarah and Abram, turns out it causes some conflict in their house to have another wife who was able to bear a child when you weren't for many, many years. Turns out that's not such a good setup. Yeah. Um, So in chapter 16, what we see is Sarah, uh, well, Hagar and Sarah begin to not like each other so much. Probably didn't have a, I mean, I don't know how the relationship was before Hagar being the servant, but um, it didn't get any better uh, as as it turns out. She conceived. And when she conceived, chapter 16, verse 4, she looked with contempt on Sarah. And Sarah said to Abram, may the wrong done to me Be on you, I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. So Abram says, Do what you want with this with the servant. And Sarah sends Hagar and Ishmael away. Now, the promise that was given was given to Abram, to the seed that would come to him and his wife. And so, if you're looking at this, well, you'd say, well, this is an illegitimate son on the face of it, right? Say, that's what that is. It's an illegitimate son. But The thing that I'm touched by in this is that when she's sent away with her son, the angel of the Lord goes to her. The manifestation of God's presence shows up to Hagar and Ishmael when they've been sent away by Abram and Sarah. Verse seven, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing away from my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, which means the God who hears. Because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of man and his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well shall be called Bir Lahai Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. So I came to this name of Roy, of vision, of seeing, and it's rooted in a God Who sees and hears all. In spite of the fact that Abram and Sarah hatch a plan that is logical by their time, but damaging heavily in its action, God sees those affected by it and afflicted by it and goes to them. The Lord has listened to your affliction. He reveals himself to her as a God who sees. So we serve a God who is uh, the Lord who initiates. He's the Lord who called Abram out of Ur of Chaldea. He came and said, you, come with me. I've got a land for you. He's a God who initiates. We have a God who sees when uh, a bad plan by mankind goes very bad, sees those who are affected by it and comes to them in their affliction and says, I see you, I hear you. We see in chapter 17 that he is God with might over all things. In chapter 17, when he begins uh, talking to Abram about the covenant there, he says, When Abraham was 99, the Lord appears to him and says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And again, he goes through a number of the promises that he's going to make and the fulfillment that needs to be had there. And during that time, promises to Abram that he will have a son. Both Abram and Sarah laugh at this proposition. Chapter 17, verse 15. God said to Abram, As for Sarah, your wife, you should not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. And then Abram fell on his face and laughed. And said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abram said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, no. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. He laughs. God starts that uh, explanation of the covenant by saying, I am God Almighty. I am calling you to this. I am going to bless you. I am going to give you this land. I call you to walk before me blamelessly. Abram says, no, no, what about Ishmael? That says, name, your son, whom Sarah will bear, Isaac. What a reminder that, that God can do that, which man would laugh at. He does, he does that which is laughable. A- yes. <laughs> yes. I did. I did. Everyone else knew that, I guess. That was assumed. But for you, Roy. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Isaac, he laughs. Abraham laughs. And, and later, uh, the angel of the Lord comes and visits Sarah as well. In, or, or visits Abraham again that is and as Sarah is listening to the conversation that a year from now they will come back and uh, and Sarah will have a son Sarah inside the tent laughs and the angel says to him uh, why is she laughing and Sarah in that time says I, I wasn't I wasn't laughing <laughs> the God who sees all and hears all and is above all says yeah you were no, I wasn't. Yeah, you were. God initiates. God hears and sees all things. God has might over all things. And he does that, which we might look at and say is foolishness. He calls wise. So I'll wrap up with uh, two Two things. We become children of Abraham by following Abraham. Not by being his children, but but following his heart. And his heart was one that, though imperfect uh, and though broken, as we see and will continue to see, um, his heart was one that believed God when God spoke. And that is counted to him as righteousness. Righteousness. As we heard last week and talked about last week, God has spoken to us, and he's spoken to us through the Son, Jesus. That that the payment to fulfill the covenant is at the cross, the, the blood of Christ. And when God speaks, we believe him. And what follows in the covenant as we look at chapter 17 is this call to not only keep the covenant, but continue the covenant to see that it continues. You talk about the covenant of circumcision and like, why is that a sign? You know, why, why is circumcising your son at eight days old a sign? It's not a pleasant experience for sure. Anybody that has had a son and had that operation completed is not fun to watch. Um, But the point in that is this, that it is a commitment, Right. Is saying, yes, Lord, I will raise my son in following you. Now, big caveat, as Christians, we don't have to follow the circumcision covenant, as some people do. Anyway, so just as a side note, I am not advocating <laughs> that we are continuing the circumcision covenant. Don't, How, they don't show that's right. Everything. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so that, that isn't a command. Anyway, any of you guys know that? I'm just setting, setting a side note. We follow the heart of that. Um, but but the, the impetus in that here for the Israelites is this, that your commitment in doing this is to show that you will raise your children after this covenant. That you will commit to raising them up to follow the God who is faithful, to follow the Almighty God, the God who sees and hears all things, the God who has initiated this relationship. It's a commitment to continue this through generations. What's the application then for us? The application for us as Christians is that the household that God has given us, whatever that may be, is one in which we have responsibility to disciple continuously, whether our children or whomever God has given us to steward is faithful to that or not. Our call is to continually and always live a life of discipling our children and those who've been placed in our care. a commitment by us that we will trust God and teach others to trust God. It's not a commitment to force them to trust God, though. It's a commitment to teach them to trust God. As we see in Abram, you know, we, we, read, we read very quickly a few chapters and think that everything just happened like that in a snap of a finger, but it happens over time. I mean, think about when Abram was called at 75 and then uh, reassured at 86 and then screws up right after that and then reassured at 99 that, hey, I've got you still. You know, keep trusting me. It's a process. That's, I mean, that alone was 24 years of process. And so we need to have the grace and mercy of God as we take on the responsibility to disciple those who God has placed in our care and continually and sacrificially give ourselves up for them and share lovingly that which we have learned from God that he's faithful and true and good. And second this, let us know and be encouraged by this text that God is the one that comes to us. He has come to us, and he continues to come to us every single day. If we would just listen. Let us know this. Whatever is going to go on this week ahead or has gone on in the week that has passed, God is a God who sees you. God is a God who hears you and knows you. And finally, know this, he is almighty God. His might is over all things. There isn't anything over which he does not have power. Let us strive to trust in this God and teach others to trust in this God, the God who sees me. God who hears me, God who knows me, loves me, has given himself for me. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful that you made promises to Abram, knowing full well that he couldn't fulfill them in himself, that they'd only be fulfilled in your might and power. But we know that if these promises had depended upon Abraham himself, nothing would have come to it. And yet in these pages, as we study and as we continue to study your people, Israel, and as they journey to Egypt and out of Egypt, we see your hand of faithfulness at every single turn. You are holding your end of the covenant. You're holding the entire covenant in your hands and in your strength. You are the God who saves, who sees, who is powerful over all things, who knows and hears everything that we're going through. Lord, we pray that you would help us to trust you and it teach others to trust you as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.